Last time we were together, as Pete switches that over for us, we worked our way through chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 6. And as you may have noticed, as we've been going through this book, verse by verse, we slowed down a little bit. Uh, I think that that is uh, the nature of the book, as the Lord begins to sum up everything. Uh, it also takes a little longer for us to do the background necessary for us to understand everything we're talking about. You just X out of that one, Pete, if you would. And uh, the other one is down at the bottom. That's all right. Ruth will give you a hand. Thank you, Ruth. We're a little shorthanded this evening. John and, uh, and, and Sarah are on their way to uh, Mississippi, I think. And so uh, we have a few that are gone, and this made us a little shorthanded back in the sound booth. But thank you for taking care of that. But anyway, all things, the end of all things are at hand. So it takes us a little bit of background time to uh, kind of sum up some of the things that are being said. And as the, of course, as we move into the end of the, the, the uh, thousand-year reign and into the eternal state, uh, we get a little bit more general scripture. The Lord hasn't seen fit to reveal all the sub, all particular subject matter that deals with uh, those things. And so we do some background to help us uh, understand those types of things. And I want to review a little bit about what we talked about last time we were together uh, in chapter 20. So if you can look there, look at verse 1 if you would. And I would just see that. This will take care of it now. I confess for it. I like that one. Anyway. Chapter 20, the Lord sets up his kingdom. Uh, and when the kingdom is, set, uh, kingdom is set up, a lot of preparation is made. And so uh, that's what we see going on here. Jesus started that preparation, uh, as you may remember, in uh, his parables of Matthew 21 and 22. A little foreshadowing of some of the preparation. Some of those parables are the two sons. You remember that parable, perhaps, the parable of the landowner, parable of the marriage feast. Jesus is getting to the end of his uh, earthly ministry, and he's setting up uh, an idea of what the eternal kingdom is going to look like, what uh, the rapture will look like, what the gathering of all those who are true believers will look like. And so he sets that up, and he left his disciples, of course, to uh, tell that the king is going to come. And we still fall into that category, don't we? We follow along as disciples, and our job is still to tell everyone that the king is going to come. And uh, he told us that his enemies are killed. He said the kingdom is arranged just like he wants it. And so we see that setting up of the end of all things, because the end of all things for us, as we watch history unfold, uh, the end of all things for us really is at hand. And perhaps we'll get to be the generation that will be caught away. And so we're excited about those days. And so it's good to know uh, what's supposed to happen. And so look at verse one, if you would, of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. We talked about this last week, and in your notes, if you flip them over, you can see the notes we had last week filled in. That can help you, and I'm going to touch on some things that perhaps we went through a little more rapidly than we should have, so that we have an idea, perhaps more clearly in our mind, of uh, some of the order. But in particular here, we have a holy angel, someone mighty, he's not named, and now he has the key to this empty abyss that used to hold all these demons that came out, and uh, he has a chain. Verse 2, it says, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Verse 3, he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And we saw that last week. John identifies him as Satan and the devil. There's no question who this is. And so if there's any question in your mind who was stronger, holy angels or those who uh, served Satan. We are clear now what that uh, conclusion is. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. 
Who are these people? Well, the last part of the verse tells us that. Look on in verse 4. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, we saw that last time. These are the ones who were killed for their testimony and their faithfulness to the word of God during the tribulation time. They didn't worship the beast. That was a clear uh, uh, part of that. And they didn't receive his mark. And they're resurrected right now. And the passage says that they were faithful and God always rewards those who are faithful to him. And so he gives them that reward. And because of that, they're given places of honor. Okay, now look at verse 5, if you would. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This will be at the time of the great white throne judgment. And we just kind of foreshadowed that last week. Uh, The bodies of unbelievers of all time, just so that you are aware, we're going to get into those verses next time, will come to life at the end of the thousand year reign. And we'll see that in the verses to come. And then this uh, last statement, this is the first resurrection, end of chapter chapter 20, verse 5, referring to the tribulation martyrs who came to life. This is the first resurrection, and it uh, clearly indicates that. Now, that first resurrection refers to some other people, too, and I think this is where we need to clear it up. There were a few questions afterwards, and so I just want to go back over this a little bit more slowly than we did. But you can see this in your notes. First resurrection referring to tribulation saints. And now, Luke chapter 14, verse 14 Uh, says it refers to uh, those of the church age. Verse 14 says, And you will be blessed, since they do not have means to repay you, for you will be repaid. And it's called the resurrection of the righteous. Still the first resurrection. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. Uh, We saw that. uh, Same type of uh, resurrection, the first resurrection, but it's referring to those who are Christ's at his coming. Verse 23 says, But each in his own order... Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ said is coming. That also refers to this time called the first resurrection. Referring to those of the Old Testament, it can be referred to as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, uh, so that they might obtain, here's what it's called, a better resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And these are scriptures we looked at last time, so I won't take the time to have you turn them to them. But verse 2 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those to everlasting life, but others to uh, disgrace and everlasting contempt. So, here's the thing. And here's where I want to make it clear. This first resurrection, it includes the redeemed of the church age. That occurs at the rapture. First resurrection. Okay? Tribulation saints... They're included in, the, in this, what's called the first resurrection, but theirs doesn't happen until when? Seven years afterward. Okay? Still called the first resurrection. Old Testament saints, about that same time. So basically in that order, redeemed of the church age, tribulation saints, Old Testament saints, and they're still called the first resurrection. It's just they don't happen exactly at the same time. Okay? Now all these are referred to in Scripture as those who are part of the first resurrection. It's a position as much as it is a resurrection. And you can think of it this way. All these are part of the first resurrection. They just get their glorified bodies at different times. Okay? The redeemed of the church age get their body at the rapture. The tribulation saints get their bodies at the glorious appearing of Christ. Uh, but those who live through the tribulation and who are martyred during the, tri- or who are martyred during the tribulation, uh, and that's important because we're going to see uh, those who are killed during the tribulation time, they're going to get their bodies. But those who move alive into the, the thousand-year reign of Christ, 
they're not going to have their glorified bodies, or perhaps their bodies will be a little bit different than what we understand. And we'll see the scriptures that clear that up for us, because they're going to go alive, and the only people who are going to go alive into the thousand-year reign of Christ are the ones who are born again. Okay, The ones who came to faith during the tribulation and survive until the end of the tribulation time will go alive into the millennial reign of Christ. So they may or may not get their glorified bodies. It perhaps will be a different glorified body if they do, but I tend to believe that they will not receive it uh, and they'll move into that time of the thousand-year reign of Christ and be able to repopulate the earth. And we're going to see some scriptures about that tonight. But I hope that clears up some of the questions that came in and, uh, and helps you kind of get these straight in your mind. I'd like you to turn, if you would, hold your finger here to John chapter 5, verse 25. Will you do that? And I think that'll help kind of correspond with Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and see that there are many places in Scripture that really speak of this. And because of the nature of the study that we're doing now, we're not chasing down every single trail that we could chase down. Uh, I'm just trying to teach as we go through here that you can study this book like we talked about how to get the most out of your Bible study and come up with a very satisfying time in, in Revelation without chasing down every single trail that you could chase down. But John chapter 5, verse 25, corresponds with Daniel 12, 2 pretty well. Verse 25 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Verse 27, And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs... Now, I want you to pause right there and think about the context of this. Whom would the people be thinking about when Jesus said that comment? Right? Old Testament, that's right. The Old Testament saints, that's who they'd be thinking about because that's the context, right? So think about this. They're hearing Jesus say this. They're in the first century. He says, uh, the voice is going to speak. An hour is coming when all who are in their tombs. And so they're thinking about what we would consider Old Testament saints. They're in their tombs. Uh, we'll hear his voice, verse 29, and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Okay? So that corresponds well with Daniel 12, verse 2, that the Old Testament saints are going to get uh, their glorified body. At the close of the tribulation time, Christ is going to come uh, in his glorious appearing and they're going to receive that body. Okay? Now, we said this last week, we're just going to repeat this because this kind of takes a while to assimilate, I think, all these things and get them in chronological order. There are only two kinds of eternal resurrection. Okay? Only two. First resurrection, that's one we were talking about, that's the resurrection of the just. Who does it include? It includes the church, it includes tribulation saints, it includes Old Testament saints. Okay? All first resurrections, but they just come at different times, so that's when they get their glorified body. All considered the first resurrection. Okay? So, the, the resurrection of the just, and of course, then you have a second resurrection, and that's the resurrection of the what? Of the unjust. Okay? And who are they? All who have died at any time, in any era, who have denied God's provision for salvation. So they wait for that resurrection, that second resurrection. And they will be given resurrected bodies prepared for punishment forever. We've spoken about that, and we'll see them again as we work through these passages. There are no other choices. Uh, as is so often the case as we work through Scripture, they're either one or the other. You know, as before, we looked at you're either a child of wrath or you're a child of the king. And there's no other way that you can be. There's no middle ground that you can, you can reside in. Okay? And here, there's a resurrection of the just or the resurrection of the unjust. There are no other ways 
to be resurrected. Now, Scripture also teaches about two kinds of death. We looked at this last time. Just review it briefly. Okay? Death called the first death. It's physical. It could be spiritual. Jesus had power over this type of death. Uh, for the believer, it's the path to heaven, unless they're raptured. Okay? I'd like you to turn. You're holding in John right now. John 11.25. Will you look there? John 11.25. It's a scripture we, we enjoy reading. It's a scripture I enjoy reading uh, at uh, funerals. I believe it, it's so appropriate for that because that's really its context. But John eleven twenty five, if you look there, Jesus has power over this death as he has power over all of death, but here particularly physical death. And remember, physical death is just for us the indication that all who sin will surely die, right? Ten out of ten die, that's... Uh, that's a constant reminder of us of sin, uh, the headship that passed down from Adam to all of his descendants. Now look at John 11:25. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life." Let's pause right there. Instead of a, a future abstract belief in some resurrection someday at the last day, Jesus really embodies life in himself, doesn't he? I am the resurrection and I'm the life. It's a sweet verse, so full of power. We won't take time to really break it down today. But uh, no resurrection, no life exists outside the sun. And that's a really neat thing to think about. She's thinking about some resurrection someday. Jesus says, yes, that's true. And she's going to deal with it in a minute. But he said, look, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And so it's a great thing to think about. Jesus embodies that in himself. Look at the rest of it. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Time's no barrier for Christ, is it? Can he give life at any time? Absolutely. That's exactly what he's going to do right now, isn't it? He's getting ready as he go through the rest of that passage. He's going to come to Lazarus' tomb, and what's he going to say? Lazarus, come out. Right? And Lazarus is going to obey. So Jesus embodies life in himself, and it doesn't matter how much time has elapsed, he can give life any time he wants. Now look at verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So he takes in the end, too. I'm the resurrection life now. And I can give it at any time I want. It all is embodied in Christ himself. And, yes, you're right. In the end time, there will be resurrection. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her this. Do you believe this? Very important. We can shake our heads yes, because we're not going through a difficult time right now. It's important to absorb that information, I think, now, before we have to get to that point where we have sorrow. Because he is the resurrection and life. He's not bound by any time. And it's a sweet thing to believe in a Savior who has that power. And that's the general rule, then, for all of mankind. Okay? Death. Jesus has power over it. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And inasmuch as this is appointed for men to die, how much? Once, and after this comes judgment. Okay? General rule for mankind. Now, there are some exceptions, and I like this. This is fun to do. Okay? Think through this with me. Some haven't died even once. Can you name one? Elijah? Enoch, right? He walked with God and the Lord took him. So, the general rule for mankind is, and as much as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment, but there are a few exceptions like Elijah and Enoch, and some won't die once, will they? Like those who will be caught up in the rapture, they won't have to see death, and some may not die, like believers who come to faith during the tribulation, and they're going to move into the thousand-year reign, right? And then, how about this? Some have already died twice. Can you name one? Lazarus, that's one, right? He's already in the tomb, and he comes out. Obviously, he's going to go back to the tomb, right? And all those people who came forth out of tombs when Christ resurrected, right? It said people who had been in the tombs were out walking around, so they had to die twice. Do you think they were worried about it the second time? 
I like thinking about it. That's just kind of how my mind works. They probably weren't too worried about it. Remember Lazarus? They were, uh, you know, the Pharisees were threatening Lazarus. Oh, don't talk about, you know, the Messiah. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll kill you. He's like, ooh, I'm really scared. <laughs> you know, he's been in the tomb for four days and Christ calls him out. And he's not worried, is he? Because he understands all of this. So, I love this. But inasmuch as it is appointed to man to die once, and after this comes a judgment, that is the general rule. But Jesus himself embodies resurrection. It's in him. That's what John 11:25 tells us. And so uh, you realize that some, uh, you know, have to, uh, have to die twice and some won't get to die at all. And, uh, but it, you know, and, and, and to be fair, the, you know, Lazarus and the ones who came out of the tomb on Jesus' resurrection didn't get their glorified bodies. So it's not exactly the same. But they got resurrected. So anyway, but in general, everyone dies once for the believer. Their soul goes to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? Very encouraging thing for us to know that you depart this tent. You're, if you're a believer in Christ, you are present with the Lord. For the unbeliever, though, their soul waits in hell for judgment on sin in the great white throne judgment. We're going to see that shortly. Okay? So, that's the first death. Eternal death. That's called the second death. That's the second kind of death there is. That's in the lake of fire. It's reserved for all those who died in their sin, who did not seek God for salvation. Uh, all the demons, fallen angels, they'll be along there with the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. So, we understand that, okay? We understand the two types of death. Uh, we understand the two types of resurrection. Now, look at verse 6 of Revelation chapter 20, if you would. You can flip back there. We'll be some other places tonight, but you can flip back to Revelation 20, verse 6. <clears throat> Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. And so that kind of sums up what we understand, right? Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. That's the one you want to be in, not the second one. And over these, the second death, we just talked about that, eternal death, has no power. And so, that, once again, that's your position in Christ. One of the sweet things you can think about as you talk, think about all that the Lord has done for you. The second death has no power over you. So we said last time, I remember a buddy of mine, Rob Chapman, who attended Liberty. He had on his Toyota, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. And then I told him he needed this caveat on there, unless you're Lazarus, Enoch, or Elijah, or one of the raptured saints. Okay? And uh, so there's a, little, a few things. The love of the Lord is always an adventure. Now look at verse 7, if you would, chapter 20. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Stop right there. You know what happens at the end of the thousand years? Scripture says Satan is loosed for a little while. He's been bound there the whole time. And we see what we've talked about before. That the people who have gone into the millennial kingdom without having died, those people will go in. There's a born-again believers who will have children and they will repopulate the earth in that thousand year time. I'd like it if you would hold your finger there. Turn to Isaiah 65. Okay, Isaiah 65. Open your Bible to the middle. You'll probably land in Psalms and go right. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. And you'll be there. Isaiah 65, 17. Now, there's some, uh, some great pictures here for us. A snapshot uh, of the time period. Uh, here in this prophecy. Now, it's important, as we talked about before, as you look at Old Testament prophecy, that the prophets themselves many times did not delineate between the eternal state and the millennial kingdom. And you're going to see both of them mixed here. 
Many times the Old Testament prophets did not delineate between the first advent of Christ when he came as a baby in a manger and the second one when he comes in his glorious appearing. And many times the narrative will just go right from one to the other as if they're part of the same time period. But the sweet thing about being a saint right now is that all prophecy is closed. The Lord has let us know so much more in the New Testament. And so we're able to clarify some of those distinctions between first and second advents of Christ and the eternal state and the thousand-year reign. And so we're going to see that kind of mixed in here. But I think as you have the background now as going through Revelation, you'll be able to uh, pick these out. And, uh, of course, for us, prophecy has been given, written down. We can identify the differences between these first and second advents. Look at there, verse 17. Let's pick up right there, if you would. Verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Now, we're not there yet, are we, as we work through Revelation. We've already seen the rapture. We've already seen the seven-year tribulation, and we've seen the millennial reign of Christ, but we haven't got to the new heaven and new earth. So realize right away, we see the Lord's going to create something new, and we're going to see this in, in the book of Revelation. But it hasn't happened yet. Verse 18, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing, and her people for gladness. Verse 19. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. And that's what's been heard in her all along, hasn't it? But that's not going to be the case. The Lord's going to make that not to be anymore. No longer, verse 20, will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Stop right there. Now, you can see we've made a transition, haven't we? You've looked at the remake of the heaven and earth, but he's continuing to talk about what the future was going to look like without delineating when these things will happen. But some of the, ver- the, the uh, word cues can tell us. Now, when we get to the eternal state, will there be any death? No. Right? So, obviously, he's talking about a time where there will be death, right? But longer life. Obviously, right? Let's read them again, and we can kind of pick that out. Verse 20. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. But we're still talking about the end of their days, right? Now, let's keep on going. For the youth will die at an age of 100. So, in other words, you hit 100 and you die, you'll still be considered a what? A kid, right? You'll still be considered a youth. Okay, And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. And so, once again, we realize we're talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ. And, of course, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And if you don't reach 100, people are automatically going to say, well, the Lord killed him. Right? He was wicked and the Lord killed him. Okay, let's keep going. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Verse 21, they will build houses and inhabit them. This is something that Israel's not been able to do for any length of time. Right? Uh, They've always built things and and other people have lived in them because of their wickedness and their idolatry. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Of course, the focus is on Israel, and we talked about this before. As we move into the book of Revelation, the focus begins to be on Israel, doesn't it? Because it's been on the church and in the church age, and Revelation gives us its outline. Things that were, things that are, and that's the church age for John and for us, and the things that will be, that's all the prophecy that follows. Okay? And so... We understand that he's focusing on Israel, and that's great, because that's what we want to do too. Verse 22, they will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the life, now listen to this, for as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. So how long are people going to live? thousand year reign is going to change the lifespan of the individual, isn't it? The Lord is going to allow them to live longer. He's the one who restricted the years, 
after the flood. He's the one that's going to expand them back out again. Okay? For as the lichen of trees, so will be the days of my people. Keep on going. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. What's that mean? Well, it's parallel. Look, look at the very next sentence. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. So in other words, what they work for, what they desire, what they produce, they'll also get to use. Okay? And that's the idea. Okay? For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord. That's another verse, verbal cue, isn't it? Uh, these are coming into the, king, into the millennial kingdom. They're coming in alive and they're obviously blessed by the Lord. They're the ones that came to faith during the tribulation time. We're going to move into the tribulation time, out of the tribulation time, rather, into the thousand-year reign. And they are blessed by the Lord, their descendants with them. Verse 24, it will also come to pass that before they call, I'll answer. And while they're speaking, I'll hear. Wow, that's amazing. What a great snapshot for that thousand-year time. Uh, the wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. And they will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And so that's a little bit of a snapshot of this thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And we can kind of divide these things up and see where he's talking about a little bit. Now look at Zechariah chapter 14. Would you do that? Zechariah chapter 14. Go to Matthew, back up two books, and you'll be there. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16 through 21. We'll get another little snapshot of this time period. It helps us kind of put in perspective what will be going on in this thousand-year reign. Uh, how long will people live? How will they repopulate the earth? All of those things. And, of course, it becomes uh, obvious then if people are living as the, age of, uh, the length of a tree, uh, there's going to be a lot of time for having children. There will be lots more uh, births, uh, not such a short lifespan. And so these things are uh, neat things to understand, but also understand that that's how it was early on when the Lord first created men. Uh, and they produced a large amount of people in, a very sh- in, in that time period when they lived a long time. Okay, look, Zechariah 14:16. It will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem. Now, let's stop right there. We understand that, time, that, that snapshot, don't we? Those who came during the Battle of Armageddon against Jerusalem. Any who are left. Now, when the glorious appearing of Christ occurs, who's going to be left? Only what? Only believers. Because he's going to slay everybody else with the word of his mouth, remember? So he comes in his glorious appearing, and that's at the, at the Armageddon time. Christ will, by the word of his mouth, slay all those who are not believers. So anything but he's left, those are believers, okay? These are the ones that saved and survived until Christ appeared. They're the remnant of the nations that went to war against Jerusalem. So uh, what will they do? Let's look. They will go up from year to year to worship the king. These nations, as they're repopulating the earth and the Lord is healing the earth, uh, they're going to go up year by year and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. That's going to be celebrated during the millennial reign of Christ, the Feast of Booths, and you're going to be required to attend. You won't be required to attend. You're the church, and you're going to be raptured. But those who are uh, saved, you know what I mean, and go into the millennial reign. Okay? Verse 17. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Verse 18. The family of Egypt does not go up or enter. No rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Verse 19, this will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So there's some punishment. The Lord's ruling, obviously, said you're going to come and you're going to celebrate this feast. If you don't come, those nations who are there in the, in the thousand-year reign don't come. Uh, they're going to be punished. Verse 20, and in that day there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. 
And on the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like bowls before the altar. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them. And there will be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. No immoral person, no vile person. Uh, everything that goes on in Jerusalem will be glorifying to the Lord, holy to the Lord. His people are doing what he's always wanted them to do, worshiping him. But you get that snapshot beforehand. Here's the nations slowly repopulating the earth. There's going to be this time period where uh, the population is growing, but the Lord's going to require some, food, uh, some feast attendance, if you will, and you're going to have to come year by year. And if you don't come, the Lord punishes. Okay? Now, look back at Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. We're almost out of time, so we're going to have to wrap up. Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, it says, Satan will be released from his prison. So at the end of this thousand years... Satan is loosed for a little while. He's been bound the whole time. We just saw what was going on during this thousand-year reign of Christ. Obviously, the warning is there. If you don't come to these uh, feasts, you're going to be punished. So, obviously, there's going to be some, some type of rebellion at some point. So, they, at least they know what's going to happen. Here's the rules. Uh, you're going to have to obey the rules because the master's here enforcing the rules. And this is what the rules look like. And I made the earth and I can do what I want. And so, Christ will do exactly what he wants to do there and require them to come. And at the close of that time, which we just saw... Satan's loosed for a little while. He's been bound this whole time. Satan, along with those who uh, will rebel, are going to desire a final confrontation with God. Verse 8. So Satan will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So, obviously, many will come in to the thousand-year reign. They will repopulate the earth in that thousand years. There will be enough for them to say that the number of the rebellious ones is like the sand of the seashore. That's a pretty large number. A parallel is drawn here, I think, from imagery that the Jewish people would know. And as we've looked at it already, we've seen these, these uh, terms already, we can identify them as well. And, you know, those who have read Ezekiel 38 and 39, you understand those words are used. First Chronicles 5.4 of Agag. Um, Numbers 24-7, Deuteronomy 3-1. But basically this, it uh, refers to a leader and his people, Gog and Magog, who lived around the Caspian Sea. That was the initial uh, understanding of who Gog and Magog were. The leader, the Gog, the premier one, that's what that word means, uh, the preeminent one, referred to them. In the seven-year tribulation, who did it refer to? For the Antichrist and those who followed him. Same words used, okay? And it's, I think it's then reasonable then for us to see if we're moved to the end of this thousand-year reign, then obviously you have a leader and those who follow and they oppose God's people. So in general, it's become that term and I think that's the best way to look at it here. So they're the general enemies of Israel, enemies of God. So, to sum that up, among the nations who are living in this wonderful time where the Lord is ruling, there are those who have been born and the ones who have come into the millennial kingdom alive are there and they're living this long life. There will be those who will rebel and they're referred to as Gog and Magog, perhaps Satan and those who follow or perhaps a leader who has uh, the one who's going to kind of be the point. But Gog and Magog, those who follow, the bottom line is they're going to want to rebel against this wonderful master who is ruling in Jerusalem. So Satan is loosed. He comes to deceive the nations and some are able to be deceived. And that's just amazing, isn't it? thousand-year reign, coming out of the tribulation time, seeing the Lord's power at work and all of the things that came on the earth and the Lord coming in glory, Christ coming in His glorious appearing, slaying the enemies of His with the words of His mouth 
and moving into the thousand-year reign and the prosperity that's there and spared from Satan and his deception and the demons and able to do all these things. The rules are there. You follow them. The Lord blesses. All this stuff, see. And there are still going to be some there who are able to be deceived at the end of the thousand-year reign. Scripture tells us some won't believe. And so, even though he's been reigning in Jerusalem with a rod of iron, uh, even though you know, there's been plagues and all the stuff will follow those who don't obey. And, I, and you can on one hand say that's amazing, but really I guess not. Because I was just kind of thinking through this. You know, Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord. He was walking in the garden with them. Right? One prohibition and one only. Don't eat of this tree. And they rebelled. Right? And just think about this, uh, a few other... You know, men di- didn't recognize him the first time Christ came. And when they knew who he was... They flat out rejected him, didn't they? And murdered him. And there are people who are sitting here today, there are people who are sitting in services all across uh, the world this morning who have heard time and time again uh, of him and his salvation that he offers, and they will not believe. They've seen his work and their relatives. They've seen salvation heal. They've seen salvation restore uh, marriages, all this type of thing. They've seen that happen and still will not come. See. So it's, I guess it's not so amazing. And so Satan, along with those who were rebelled, desire a final confrontation with the Lord. But if you thought the glorious appearing was a quick battle, uh, this was even shorter. Okay, look at verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. Now remember, Jerusalem gets raised, doesn't it? At the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, we saw this. There's an earthquake, but it doesn't destroy Jerusalem. It raises it up and makes everything else a plain around Jerusalem. So here they come. They're out of this broad plain of earth. They surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Now look at the next thing. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's it. No battle. No patience. No long-suffering. No just judgment. That's it. The Lord's done with the long-suffering, isn't he? Right now he's long-suffering, isn't he? And he offers that long-suffering as evidence that he wants all to be saved. But here, the end of the thousand year reign, those who rebel when Satan's released, there's no long suffering there. Fire comes from heaven and devours. In verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. So they're still there, right? How long has it been since they've been cast in there? A thousand years. Have they been annihilated? No. They're still there. Where the beast and the false prophet are also, and listen to these words, they will be tormented there day and night forever and ever. Jesus knows what their plans are. It's no question for him. Satan's thrown into the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet are also, and they're tormented day and night without end. And they are soon going to be judged by multiple millions of people, uh, joined rather by multiple millions of people who are about to be resurrected for the great white throne judgment, which we will look at next time we're together. All right, I'll have to quit now. We're out of time. Also remind you, if you would, uh, if you're interested, if you have some questions, some of the things we've gone over in our study through Revelation or some of the things in our Roman study or anything, rather, uh, that you'd like to, to talk about, we will have a Q&A session coming up in the next several weeks. We try to do it about every six weeks, but with the holidays, and we've kind of a little bit longer. Uh, I have a number of ones that have been forwarded to me and, and uh, answered, but we'll talk about them uh, here as well. So if you've got some questions, email them to me, text them to me, whatever you'd like. Give me a note, and uh, I'll do my best to answer them or tell you I'll get back to you and make sure you get the answer, okay? Um, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Would you like to stand with me? Let's be dismissed as we uh, prepare to enter our work week. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. We're grateful for a time of study, of refreshing together, of encouragement through testimony, of song, 
just being together with the saints is one of the sweet parts of knowing you as our Savior. We thank you for the victory that obviously you have shown us will be. And we recognize that uh, this time of grace we live in, this, uh, this time of the church, is a time where you're allowing us to be about the work that you set the disciples on when your son was here. Lord, I pray that we'll be a church that's about that. That although we know what the end will be, we are motivated even then all the more to be faithful witnesses. It's always the job of the church to do that. It's the way the church has always grown. And Lord, we know that no different types of programs and all of that stuff, none of those supplant our number one job, which is to be witnesses for you. But it will be about that. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the time and your word. I pray by your Holy Spirit you'll continue to help us assimilate these things, get them set in our mind. As you told us early in this book, those who hear or see here and do the things written in it, we want to be about that. Help us to understand. For your own glory, Lord, to you belong all dominion and power forever. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, whom you have honored and given a name above all names. Amen.